0: Welcome back to self-care when you don't have a moment to spare. I'm Dr. Gila from Connection Based Parenting. In the last lesson, we talked about clogs in the pipe. Today, I want to talk about keeping your drain open. And a great place to start for that is self-talk. We often talk to ourselves with less empathy and compassion and patience than we talk to anyone else. And yet, how we talk to ourselves is arguably the most important. Why? Because how we talk to ourselves and about ourselves, both internally and aloud, affects our mood, our behavior, and our ability to handle stress. The other thing is that our voice and language become the blueprint for our children's inner voices. That means that this is an important piece of the puzzle, not only in shifting our own unhealthy patterns, but also in shifting the messaging that we are passing down to the next generation. So it's really important, but it's also really hard. And it's hard because the way we talk to and about ourselves is deeply ingrained. Now, this is a big topic. I could do a whole course on it. And maybe someday I will. So, this is not going to change overnight with this one short training, but there are some small shifts that you can make that will ultimately make a big difference. And I'm going to go over a few of them right now. Here's a starting point for the next few days, try to take an observer's mind, act like a scientist, and notice. Notice how you're talking to yourself, and how you're talking about yourself. Consider, how would you feel if somebody else was talking to your best friend the way that you are talking to yourself? Or how would you feel if someone was talking to your child that way? So there are a few specific flags that I want you to look out for, and I'm going to give you some ideas of things that you can start to do to shift these flags. The first flag is a four-letter word, and in my opinion, it can be even more damaging than some of those other four-letter words. So the four-letter word I'm talking about is just. I call just the great minimizer. It's often discounting, diminishing, invalidating. Now, there are some situations where we want to minimize and where the word just is absolutely justified. So for example, if you're selling a product, you might want to say, it's just 9.99. You want to minimize. The problem is that we have started to use it as a society so often that we don't even notice we're doing it. But I do think that it affects how we feel. I invite you to pay attention to how often you use the word just, like a scientist collecting data, or if you prefer, think of it like a strange new drinking game. When you notice yourself using the word, experiment with saying the exact same thing without the word just. Most sentences work without the word just, and in fact, many will work even better. Personally, when I drop the word, I often feel this weight lifted off of my shoulders, like a sort of sigh of relief. It takes the judgment and the invalidation immediately away, and it allows the statement to be there on its own. If it's about something that's challenging, it allows that challenge to be there, to be respected, and to exist. So give it a try. I'm super curious to hear how it goes. All right, the next flag that I want you to look out for is labeling and name-calling. Ugh, I'm such an idiot. I am such a perfectionist, and that sort of thing. My suggestion for this one is the same one that I recommend for helping kids shift away from name-calling and labeling. Make observations about specific behavior not judgments about the person overall. So here's what that might look like. Instead of, I'm such a perfectionist, you might try something like, boy, I just spent a lot of time trying to figure out the best way to word that sentence. The third flag is the words always and never. When you notice yourself using these words, you know you're in the land of extremes, generalizations. Extremes are never true. There are always exceptions. See what I did there? Usually, talking to and about ourselves in extremes and generalizations is similar to name-calling. I'm never on time. I'm always late. And so my suggestion for this one is the same as for labeling. Practice making objective observations of current behavior and shifting away from broad generalizations about behavior patterns. It's also important to recognize that those behaviors are usually there for a reason. Behavior is communication. By the way, that's another good one-liner to keep in mind. Behavior is communication. So I encourage you to be curious about where the behavior is coming from. For example, when you yell at your kid, that's a message, a flag, that something is going on for you. So instead of saying to yourself, oh, I'm such a bad parent, try, wow, my think is overflowing. What's going on for me right now? By the way, these tips also apply to communication with and about your child, and really about anyone. Let me give you a quick example. My father, son, and I were riding in one of those surreys on the boardwalk in New Jersey. If you're not familiar with them, they're kind of uh, two bicycles attached side by side with an awning overhead. As we were slowly pedaling along the boardwalk, an older woman on a bike cut us off. And then later on, the same woman was biking towards us on the wrong side of the boardwalk, and she didn't move over for us as she should have. My father said to my son, boy, she's a mean lady. He made a generalization and he labeled her as a person as mean. As tactfully as I could, I offered that actually we know nothing about her as a person. The most we can say is that her behavior on the bike in this moment was mean. And really, I don't even think that's a fair evaluation either. All we can say is that she did not move over when she should, or maybe that she was having a hard time following the rules and expectations of biking on the boardwalk. But that might not mean she's mean. Maybe it's her first time doing it and she doesn't know the expectations. Maybe she has something stressful on her mind and she was distracted or even anxious about it. Maybe there was a reason she was on the other side, like having to deliver something to the folks checking beach tags at the entry ramps. We just don't know. The bottom line is that we often generalize observations about individual behaviors to be indicative of the entire person, and we do it with ourselves too. All right, the fourth flag that I want you to look for takes a little bit more effort and skill and practice. This fourth one is what we call limiting beliefs. Common limiting beliefs are things like, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I don't deserve whatever. Or even, I don't deserve love. Or maybe something more specific like, I'm too old. Or, I don't have enough time. You might not be aware of your limiting beliefs yet, and that's okay. As you begin to pay more attention to and notice how you talk to yourself, you may start to notice some of these limiting beliefs coming up. And if it's a limiting belief, it will probably come up over and over. One good trick for trying to figure out what your limiting beliefs are is Something you can learn from a four year old, and that is the question, why? If you feel upset for whatever reason, ask yourself, why? And don't stop, just like that four year old. So, whatever the answer to the initial question is, ask yourself again, why? And keep asking why until you get to that juicy center, because at that center is usually one big juicy limiting belief. Now, limiting beliefs are sticky. They've usually been with you for a long time, maybe even since early childhood, so they're not going to go away easily. Our limiting beliefs develop for a reason, and usually a big part of that reason is safety. They are part of how we learned to keep ourselves safe, emotionally, psychologically, and sometimes even physically. So it makes sense that we can't simply shut them off. For now, don't try to get rid of those beliefs. That's a few steps down the road. Here's where I recommend starting. The first step, of course, is figuring out what they are. That alone can be an important and difficult first step. This is a place where it can sometimes be helpful to work with someone else, like a coach or a therapist, or even a trustworthy friend or relative. Step two is to notice when it comes up, to raise your awareness about it. And you'll find your spidey sense will get more attuned over time with practice, and you'll begin to be able to recognize these beliefs more easily. Step three. Before we can begin to try to adjust those beliefs, we first need to acknowledge them. Similar to when a child is upset, active listening, empathy, and validation go a long way. So what does that look like when it comes to a limiting belief? Well, that may be different for each person, but here's one idea. This is what I call the hello method, not a very creative name I know. It literally goes something like this. When you notice a limiting belief crop up, say in your head or out loud, up to you, hello, welcome back, I see you. You can play around with what works for you. Some people like to give their limiting belief a nickname. Some like saying, thank you for trying to keep me safe or I am safe. There are a lot of options here, None of them are going to feel 100% comfortable at first, but play around and see how it goes. All right, that is more than enough to get you started. I know this lesson was jam-packed. The next one will be shorter and more tangible, I promise. Before we get there, as a quick review, here are the communication flags that I invite you to look for. Just. Labels and name-calling always and never, and limiting beliefs. Remember to start small. Goal number one is to increase your awareness about your self-talk patterns. I almost said just there. Goal number one is just to increase your awareness, but I caught myself because there's no just about it. This is a practice and, well, it takes practice. You might notice some self-criticism coming up about your self-talk as you increase your awareness of it. Criticism about your self-criticism, as it were. This makes sense. These are old, deeply rooted patterns. So I want to reiterate and emphasize here that self-compassion is the goal. When possible, please be gentle with yourself Here are a few good reminders to keep on hand. Feel free to use them. One, it makes sense that this is hard. Two, this takes practice. And remember, there is absolutely no shame in wanting or needing help with this process. All right, like I said, the next lesson is a little lighter and shorter with a very practical tool that I think you're going to like. So when you're ready, I will meet you there.